Welcome to 2022 and this low-key video game podcast called Into the Aether. My name is Brendan Bigley. <laughs> I'm Stephen Hilker. What year will we be honest and say it's no longer low-key? You know, that's that's the, the running question in my mind. Never. I like the little piece of cheese we've left <laughs> under the trap. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, too. Uh, what, a, what a day it's been. We're recording this, just to be clear, on uh, Wednesday, January 5th. 2022, which is the day that the Goatee episode went live, which uh, has been yeah. very interesting. Uh, we're recording this episode pretty early because I'm going to be gone for a big chunk of the month. I'll be in France, Paris, France, which is the worst way I can say that <laughs> country's name. Uh, and uh, decided <laughs> to just... macaroni girl here. Today's <laughs> any macaroni girls here in Paris, France, France, uh, and France decided to uh record early before i left um so we would have an episode next week while i'm gone so when this episode is out i will be in france i'll be in paris if you are also in paris oh, yeah. say hello if you see me on the street say bonjour please oh yeah you're right you're right you're right you're right don't uh, say hello to me in france yeah, you only live once uh say say ça va for me please uh anyway that said as as i mentioned uh we're recording this the day that the goatee episode went live the goatee episode generally speaking is like one of the two biggest episodes of the year for us that it's at least like built yeah. into the format of the show it's goatee at the end of the year and our season premiere in the middle of the year which is very nice uh it really worked out quite well that we have a season premiere in july six months into the year but that said if you listen to the goatee episode and that is your first episode of into the aether and this is your first normal standard as normal and standard as an episode of the show can be if this is your first right. one just wanted to say welcome thank you for joining Hi. thank you for downloading the podcast and listening to it it's very nice to hear from you uh i just wanted to like <laughs> very quickly go over what this show is for yeah. those of you who are new the whole idea the whole conceit of into the aether is just that Stephen and I wanted to talk about games we loved and nothing else. So almost never, very, very, very few exceptions, almost never will we bring a game to the show that we dislike uh, to dunk on it. Only bring games that we're uh, very into and want to talk about and have a discussion about. I would say... The only times we've talked about things that we actively disliked, Kingdom Hearts 3, because Kingdom that was Hearts 3. because yes. we backed ourselves into a corner, and Cats 2019, which arguably kind of love. So You I can't mean, even have an opinion on it. It's like poking clay. Yeah. You don't, you can't dis <laughs> you, you, it's something, something you enjoy. You yeah. Just did it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and that, that's pretty much it. Usually in a normal episode, we'll have like three segments. The games we bring might be like a first impressions. It might be something we've talked about before, but want to revisit. It's, it's pretty loose. I think like... With the Game of the Year episodes and with the monthly bonuses that are for everyone, there's usually a more concrete topic. Like, usually we'll have, like, a monthly bonus centered around a game or idea. So, uh, you know, we didn't do one last month, but the month before that was Tales of Arise. You can look at our, you know, library and, and very clearly see which are the bonuses. Yeah. But I think in terms of, like, bringing to the table only games that we enjoy, that there actually is a pretty wide area of conversation there. Because I think that, like, there sometimes will be games, like, there's definitely a different kind of episode where there'll be games, like, that we love so much, we can't stop playing, we can't stop talking about. Mm. And then there might be ones that we can 
can like kind of recognize that is sort of like a mixed bag of an experience, but there might be something like a topic of conversation that we want to have about it. Yeah. You know, so I think that like, even though we're only bringing games that we like, like there's still room for like critical conversation. But yeah, you're right. It's never going to be like just, you know, ripping something apart for no reason. And I I think it's good that you're uh, bringing up that like, just because we're only talking about things that we enjoy doesn't mean that we're removing ourselves from like critical conversation because yeah i mean the show isn't fucking saccharin you know like that's not the that's not the energy <laughs> um but you know even in the things you love it's it's okay to criticize them of course. so all of that having been said that's into the aether we have a website into the cast.online where you can follow us on all of our social media platforms uh we're on twitch we're on youtube we have a patreon patreon.com slash into the cast where we have bonus episodes that we release every once in a while and uh yeah i mean there's there's a bunch of stuff going on thank you so much for downloading the podcast and for joining us very cool to have you here totally and and just to be clear too with the patron bonuses like the monthly bonus is for everyone and there's like patron exclusive bonuses as well yes 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 totally two kinds of bonuses you're getting a lot here in the aether two kinds of boni uh oh my god (laughs) (laughs) i just gasped and coughed i don't know what that was a lot of uh, a lot of internal feelings that said it's january it's january 5th it's january we are in yeah. 2022 which uh means that we've entered what is definitely like one of the most fun weirdest parts of the year for us and we mention this every year but like after game of the year our show becomes something <laughs> totally different because like yeah. we always say we're not beholden to new video game releases but like january 5th there there are no new video game re- there's yeah. not we couldn't even try and find a game that came out in the past five days to talk about which essentially means that we're just like left to our own devices which always ends up being just completely weird uh last year our first episode of the of the year was uh all about dragon quest 11s echoes of elusive age definitive edition for nintendo switch now available for xbox now game game pass. also previously available for nintendo 3ds and somebody is actually going through and like doing a rom hack where they're translating the 3ds version and i think if that is ever completed i will play that but that's story for another day anyway that was our first episode of the year and you and i just talked a lot about dragon quest 11 which i deeply deeply love i think it's probably in my top five favorite games of all time and you were revisiting and really enjoyed and then we ended up doing a bonus about it which was really cool but this year um i don't have any like lingering game that i've been playing for months and months you know to go into so it's been kind of like a weird couple weeks and as we mentioned before we signed off for the year it's like who the hell ever knows what you and i are going to get into and i'm looking at the list of stuff we're talking about today and like it is both predictable and completely baffling that these are the games we've chosen to talk about for her first big it's episode a lot of like 2022 in sixth grade i remember in sixth grade <laughs> i came to school with a bright orange jacket a bright orange backpack and a bright orange lunchbox <laughs> and a jester hat oh, like a jester shit. winter hat yeah oh i remember when those exactly were popular yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes. There, thank you. It was popular at one point. That also happened by accident, but that is the exact level of predictable and strange that I think this episode will be. It is It is a full orange ensemble with a jester hat. Yeah. Um, I also want to be clear. Not only is it January 5th, a, a creative writing prompt with no prompt. <laughs> We've also taken two weeks off, which we've never done. We've never done that. We've never taken more than a week off in our four years of doing the show, which is kind of wild. I'm glad we did it just for ourselves. But like even that was still very busy because AJ was editing the Goatee episode. Like we were all working on a piece of that episode together in the background. So like we essentially still only had a week off, but we didn't release an episode or at least we didn't record an episode for two weeks straight. So this is two weeks. I'm recording this in my family's house using a different mic. My mic is on a stack 
stack of old Nintendo Power magazines Holy and the shit. 1997 strategy guide for Pokemon Red Whoa. with like the original watercolors. Yeah. Oh so I'm like, man, I'm leaning in. Yeah, I'm leaning into it. I love this. I can I can feel yeah. the the power uh, emanating upwards into the microphone from that stack of magazines. That's very cool. I think that's cool. I know for a fact there's Majora's Mask. There's Pokemon. Uh, there's wow. Yoshi's Story, which is kind of exciting. Yeah, that is kind of exciting. I'll, I'll say this before we even get into that stuff. But um, yeah. the response to the Goatee episode has been very cool. And uh, you yeah. and I both got the chance to listen to it this week, obviously, because we were doing QA checks and like making sure it sounded good and all that kind of stuff and giving notes before it went out. But uh, any any thoughts post Goatee now having listened to the episode again? It was cool to listen to. I mean, it was such a fun day that I, I like it just sort of washed over me. Yeah. I don't know if not remembering a day is a sign of a good day or not. Like, this is, <laughs> I just because sometimes we'll, we'll like when we listen to an edit, I'll have very like concretely remembered the discussion. And like, obviously, I remembered what we talked about for Goody, but it was such a long episode too that like it, it was fun to listen to with like a fresh like expectation yeah uh, other than knowing what games would be announced like it was cool and also i hadn't heard like every guest segment so it was really cool to see it all together oh my god the guest segments were so good yeah i think again thank you to all our guests for both appearing on the show and for giving some of their time to that episode yeah i, I think we started doing that in 2020 and it just sort of become an integral part of that episode or those episodes ever since yeah i'll say this yeah. Look, looking back i'm i'm still surprised at your list i'm looking at it right now i'm still surprised at your top 10 <laughs> yeah it's such an interesting year just like such a such a uh like kind of bizarre situation as, as we've mentioned and a lot of people have mentioned time and time again but like because this year didn't have any real front runner i feel like everyone just kind of had their own take um and had their own methodology that they needed to come up with to figure out what their favorite games of the year were and like what a fun experience it is to sit there and think about this stuff uh and and come out the other end with like kind of a better understanding of yourself and and the things that you consume i i loved putting a list together this year i think more than ever before and honestly and i wrote about this in a piece that's probably live on our medium at that point which is like a written version of the top 10 list but i feel like the mentality that i had making a list this year i'm going to want to continue every year forever like i feel e- the same way yeah. even if there's you know like a blowout number one game two through ten is like okay but i i need to like look into my heart and figure out what i what i really loved from the year because I, I think like even looking at your list right now numbers nine and ten as guilty gear strive and league of legends wild rift i remember in the episode you mentioned something along the lines of like you just had to be honest with yourself and say like i played 400 matches of league of legends why would that not be in my top 10 you know but there <laughs> but i right. think it's important to note that like usually at least for me in previous years like that is the kind of thought process that I would have where I would be like, I've played 400 matches of this, but I don't think it belongs in my top 10. Like there there was a disconnect there that got reconnected at some point in 2021 for some reason towards the end of the year. And like, I feel like, I don't know. I feel like it's like emotional honesty in a way to like, sure. Yeah. To, to say like, I'm separated from, from like uh, almost like ego and, and precedent and expectation and all that shit. And just say like, no, 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 Th- This is, this is my list and I can do whatever the fuck I want with it is like really yeah. freeing. And I think that's, I, maybe that's the word I'm looking for. It was really freeing to put a list together this year. Not that the other ones were ever like bad in that way. Like not that I ever felt like the weight of expectation making the previous year's list, but something about this one was, like painting which was really cool yeah i think unconsciously there are a lot of external factors that affect like something as as sort of carefree and low stakes as as making those lists (laughs) yeah right it reminds me a bit of like 
you know, what do you consider your favorite bands and what was your most played song on Spotify? It's like, well, shit, it was probably like, you know, <laughs> study relax to beats of yeah. some kind. Right. But it's like, why do I discount that if it's my most listened to song? Totally. Or, or whatever, you know, um, and, and I kind of get it. There is a place for it where it's like, OK, like this is maybe something that like has a place to fill. But like, did it give me the same highs as this? And, and that's, I think, more nuanced there. Mm. Uh, and again, all this is there's not really a concrete answer. It's all like a exercise in examining yourself and what you connect with but i think you're right to like have less bias against something that you might write off as a guilty pleasure yeah i love that yeah i can't wait till a project triangle strategy is our game of the year next year above elden ring man i am really (laughs) excited for that game i'm not kidding yeah (laughs) i think gusendolf is gonna top elden ring there's a moment in in the goatee episode that i i still think about like i really really wanted returnal to be my number one game of the year last year like what i would have given for that have to have been the game because it was it was like firing on all cylinders and was like almost a classic like that game could have been a classic housemark incredible arcade game designers beautiful vibrant visuals like so good at doing what they do and then taking all of that game design mastery and putting it into like the classic sony studio sony playstation studios over the shoulder third person action adventure game was like oh my god that should have been it that really should have been it uh that that is my biggest regret of the year is that Returnal wasn't better. <laughs> not that it, not that it, there's a game I missed. It's that Returnal wasn't better. <laughs> Sometimes it's you, you can go into something with a with a built up expectation mm-hmm. for sure. Anyway, in the many weeks since uh, we've last sat here and recorded a podcast episode, there have been like a hundred thousand different sales across like yes. every store, and I know you have picked up a shitload of games, and so have I. I'm like set. I'm like set for 20. Like, yeah, I'm good. I could be like, okay, this week we're talking about this game. This next week we're talking about this game. And, and we'd have an entire year planned out. Not that that's how we do the show, but I feel like I could after all the stuff that I picked up. Yeah. I mean, this reminds me uh, another childhood memory. I'm full of them because I'm in my childhood room in some ways. Yeah. We, uh, I remember one Christmas morning. I, it was Christmas morning. So my parents were like, come downstairs. It's Christmas. And I was so, I was having so much fun in my room. Like I'm good. Like I don't need to, I don't need anything else. <laughs> I'm playing with my toys that I have right now. I'm, I'm set. Wow. That's kind of how I feel at the beginning of this. Oh my year. God. Yeah. The dream. Wow. You're like a yeah, dream I think child. I was like five. Yeah. <laughs> well, for that one year, then, then came the orange. And chaos. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> chaos. <laughs> then came, is a joy to have in class. Is not aware of his surroundings. <laughs> Feedback from teachers. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so there was a giant sale on the 3DS eStore, which I'm amazed anyone yeah. knows still exists. Cause it, I just, I, I, it's been discontinued in, in other parts of the world. It's still available in the U.S. I'm like counting the minutes until it's discontinued. Cause it just, it's inevitable at this point. Like, there's yeah. no way that's going to stick around, which is really sad because that is like the last beacon of like official nintendo game preservation like that store i guess the wii u is the wii u one still up or no the wii u one is the wii one is not the wii one was discontinued after a while and then the wii so the wii u one of 3ds is still there and that's like where you can get earthbound for ten dollars uh you know given For some, it might be inconvenient to like have these games on those devices, but I played the 3DS enough organically that like having a lot of these games on there was like a good deal, especially for like less than $10. So Atlas had a sale, like every SMT game on the 3DS and Etrian Odyssey on the 3DS were for like six, $7. There were other games too. In anticipation of our uh, season five premiere, thinking ahead <laughs> in June slash July, where we're going to talk about the DS, I wanted to pick up some of that stuff. 
Uh, so one big thing I got that I'm very excited to play, I haven't started yet, but I, I just want to speak it out loud, is Radiant Historia. Yeah, man. Um, that is, like, the sort of unsung hero of the DS era, it seems. Like, anyone who, like, kind of is an RPG fan is, like, this is the game that, like, defined that console. Yeah. And I'm curious where we'll land on it. I did, like, days and days of just, like, crawling through the internet when we were trying to decide what console we want to do for the Season 5 premiere before we landed on the DS one. And I remember in the moment sending you a message when I discovered Radiant Historia that was like, this is going to be it. Like, this will probably be number one. It just feels like it has all the makings of a thing you and I are really going to love. And I don't know if I'm setting myself up for failure by saying that out loud in the Aether, but, like, it just seems so great. And even if it's not, like, even if it's just okay, it's cool that we have both versions. I also picked it up, just to be clear. Um, It's cool that we have the DS version and the 3DS version to compare and contrast between. Uh, That that sounds like a fun episode regardless. Yeah, exactly. I got that. I got um, SMT4 and SMT4 Apocalypse uh, in in interest of checking out more of that series after how much I loved 5. Yes. It seems weirdly kind of like Dragon Quest, where, like, Dragon Quest Eleven is now the entry point, but before that, it was eight yes and eight is like now the next step i totally. feel like that happened with smt5 and it's if you like that check out four check out next. four yes nocturne was not the place to start we nocturne was definitely that. not the place to start <laughs> it might be the place to go back to once i like have more experience and maybe mm. I'll, I'll like i did i did like nocturne but i kind of liked it like yeah. from afar it didn't it didn't click with me as much as i wanted it to but five did and i'm i'm hopeful that four will too and four apocalypse which is like kind of a sequel kind of like a different perspective from little i know of four mm. that one is like really widely beloved like even oh, really? more than four but it seems like you might have to have played four first okay i did some research as well like what are the best smt games and apocalypse is like I, a lot of talk was like it's not only one of the best smt games but like one of the best rpgs on 3ds which is saying a lot because there, there are a lot of rpgs in the system there a lot of good ones on there yeah okay that's interesting dragon quest 8 but oh and another thing too is i finally all this time all these years of suffering i had like a four gig sd card on my 3ds and i finally got a larger one and i was able to re-download everything because before then i could have like exactly one digital (laughs) game on my 3ds at a time so i re-downloaded everything including like the original uh smash brothers or smash brothers 4 on 3ds Mm -hmm. which i revisited very briefly and it's it, it still is like shockingly good that game is like, so good yeah it's remarkable how like we play enough 3ds that i always kind of know what the trade-off's gonna be with certain like ports or whatever and it's like it feels like there were very little trade-offs in the 3ds smash compared to the wii u one yeah like it's shocking it's it's really good i bring up the 3ds version of super smash brothers a lot on the show because i think it's yeah, so I impressive it. that it works at all and I, I i feel like i just have like very specific like disney pixar presents inside out core memories tied to that version of (laughs) of smash brothers but i think one of the things that i appreciated about it most that i i find very surprising is that it actually made me better at regular smash brothers on console Mm, because the the lack of um the c-stick inputs i mean you could use the c-stick if you have the new 3ds and like feel like using that c-stick nub it is truly terrible but if you want to you can use it (laughs) if you ignore it what actually ends up happening is you have a better mastery of the controls without needing to resort to the c-stick to use smash attacks and that is like amazing once you can once you can wrap your head around that and not always default to the c-stick for smash attacks super smash brothers becomes like an extremely competitive and extremely fun game and that is the thing that you learn best from the 3ds version when they take that entire control mechanism away from you it's so cool i didn't expect
expect us to talk about this fucking game today, but here we are. <laughs> no, I mean, I actually just opened my 3DS. I've got a Twilight Princess theme. Hell yeah. I miss themes. I need Dude, themes. Put on, themes on the Switch. Put themes on the Switch. Put themes on the PS5. I didn't buy those Butterfingers for nothing. Where the fuck is Tifa? Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, I got. So here's what I got on this on this sale. Radiant Historia. Yeah. Uh, oh, I also got Shimigami Tensei Strange Journey Redux. This is like the Persona 5 Royal of Strange Journey, mm. the original on the DS. So it has like quality of life improvements. Um, excited to play that. I got Pocket Jockey, which is so weird. I forgot I played it and thought I had a dream. Like truly, like yeah. I, I forgot getting this. I love it. Don't get me wrong. This is if you have a 3DS and you're looking for games to play, Pocket Jockey is is a must. Pocket Card Jockey. Pocket Card Jockey. Excuse me. Really good. Game Freak's best game above Pokemon. Um, <laughs> I also got the 3DS remake of Ocarina of Time. We'll talk more about that later. And that's it. Oh, I also redownloaded my New Leaf Town, which I didn't realize I had I had kept the save data the whole time. So I, I opened up the town, and Isabel was like, "We've got some cool new things to check out." You know, it was the whole like update of of Harv and everything. And then I talked to the Owl. It was very surreal for Blathers to be like, "Brewster's coming to town in two different timelines," and then all the villagers were like, "Dude." They didn't recognize me at first. Like, oh, are you new in town? They're like, wait, it's you? I haven't seen you in eight years. That's unbelievable. It was very haunting. Yeah. Yeah. They said, one person said, eek, it's the ghost of Steven. And then another person said, we've kept the mayor's seat empty this whole time, like hoping you'd come back. Oh my, I forgot you were the mayor for a second in that game. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I I certainly did. I forgot that I had a town. Uh, but it was it was fun to go back. I I'd may, I might want to like actually put some time into that and see like what's been going on there. But it is a little bit overload to have like two active Animal Crossing settings at a time. It's a little bit too much virtual guilt. Wait until you have to dip into Wild World on the DS. Also, <laughs> yeah. you have three going Let's at once. Go all out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so that's what I got. What did you get on the sale? Yeah, I uh, so as far as the 3DS sale goes, I, I ended up just picking up Radiant Historia because I didn't have it. Um, oh, and I also got. Shimigami Tensei 4, but not Apocalypse. Now I feel like I should get Apocalypse as well. Um, today, the day we're recording is the last date that, that sale is happening, so I should, uh, should probably pick that up. But a lot of the games I picked up were on the Switch because Square Enix had a pretty big sale, and I had this moment where I was like, weirdly enough, I think I have most Square Enix games on the Switch already. Like, almost all the ones that they have available, I have already bought. So I went I to go that. see what was up with the sale and found a bunch of stuff. Like a bunch, a bunch of stuff that I hadn't picked up, including a game I'm very excited to talk about eventually, which is the pocket edition of Final Fantasy 15, which is like yeah. the, the almost like classic style remake of Final Fantasy 15. Uh, instead of it being an open world, is more of like a PS1 era Final Fantasy game, which seems like at least an interesting idea even if not a good one uh so i can't wait to experience that i think that's going to be like a really really cool experience yeah, that's come up for us enough whenever things kind of just permeate conversations like that totally it's usually a good sign what else did i pick up I, I i picked up kingdom two crowns which is not square enix i'm, I'm leaving square enix behind for a second uh kingdom two crowns which is uh, a game i've heard justin mcelroy talk about a lot on the besties and sounds like it's totally up my alley there are a lot of people in the discord talking about the i think it's called east is the is how you pronounce the game but it's YS, but East 
eight uh was like deeply on sale which is like uh, kind of like tales a, a jrpg series that you and i just like have not checked out really and yeah. i i knew absolutely nothing about and it's like oh my god there's nine of these things and a lot of people whose opinions i really respect really like them like wh- where the fuck have i been this whole time so i picked that up based on our conversation uh in our previous episode pre i guess we recorded post goatee but about board games on the switch i ended up picking up Catan on the switch i ended up picking up root on the switch because we played root at that beach house Uh, and i also picked up wingspan which i've been playing like a lot wingspan on the switch wingspan and root kind of like tied for number one in terms of like just being the most beautiful version of a board game you can play on the switch really really yeah really spectacular presentation on both wingspan is the most chill shit ever what i really love is you can play it locally with just like one controller on the tv which is really nice Uh, you just pass the controller around and like it's the kind of game where it doesn't even really matter if you see each other's cards or whatever because you're just kind of doing your own thing yeah it's really great so wingspan on the switch is really good going back to square enix though one of the things that i i I thought was very interesting was that there were three games deeply 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 on sale uh that were all (laughs) all by the same subdivision of square enix that i i had been kind of like I feel like I had heard of, but didn't really know their whole deal. And they were called Tokyo RPG Factory. And I was thinking through and I was like, is that the team that does Octopath Traveler and is doing Triangle Strategy? And like, is this like another thing that they're doing that's not the like, you know, uh, 2.5d pixel art whole situation and no tokyo rpg factory is a completely different division of square enix and i was like why don't i know anything about these people like i've definitely heard the name before let me check out what games they've released and they have three games not relegated to the switch but they are all on the switch the first was a launch title called i am setsuna the second was called lost sphere spelled s-p-h-e-a-r and then the third one was oninaki and looking into their history the whole deal with tokyo rpg factory is that they were really, really inspired by Chrono Trigger. It's like a bunch of people within Square Enix who like grew up playing Chrono Trigger, had that inspire them to want to work at Square Enix and made their own sub team within the company to make games inspired by Chrono Trigger. And their first one, I Am Setsuna, came out and people seem to like mostly like it's like a very classic chrono trigger adjacent jrpg it's like kind of you know uh, almost like a paint by numbers jrpg experience run around on an overworld turn-based combat with an atb meter like it really is chrono trigger in that sense um and kind of that sense only uh and people mostly liked it but i think over the years people have kind of cooled on it and from what i've seen online at least have started to like turn against it in a big way which led up to their second game lost sphere which was just like panned like almost universally yeah steven i'm gonna be perfectly honest with you i have found one single positive review of lost sphere on the internet (laughs) i have i have looked everywhere for like any positive conversation about this game every once in a while i'll come across like a a forum post in something some website i've never heard of where somebody's like why does everybody hate lost sphere so much and then there's just like paragraphs of responses (laughs) you know somebody's like i think i kind of like this game why does everybody hate it so much they're like you know what i do hate it too you're right which is like wild and i think because of the way lost sphere went oninaki their third game kind of came out and was just like buried immediately like i didn't really hear anything about oninaki yeah and oninaki is interesting because it's kind of a it's kind of a break away from their chrono trigger thing in a sense in that it's uh an action rpg instead of like a straight up turn-based kind of chrono triggery turn-based game so 
I bought all three games because I was like, this is the most into the Aether shit possible. Is like this <laughs> this company called Tokyo RPG Factory, like a truly horrible name, just like set up to get dunked on in a sense. Because like if you <laughs> if you're making games that are inspired by a thing that people have like a real deep love and affinity for, and then they're not very good or they feel a little bit too rote or a little bit too much like a copy paste of ideas, of course people are going to make fun of you for calling your company Tokyo RPG Factory. Uh, so you know, strike one. In that sense and the other thing is that i love checking out stuff that i think i'm not gonna like i mean that's like the classic thing that you and i do all the time i you even mentioned it yeah. in our Godi episode about wild drift you and i downloaded it kind of as like a neither of us really like mobas that much but this seems like an interesting idea to try and shrink one down to mobile in in this sense and like ended up loving it obviously so i bought all three games and my thing was i was going to come to this episode having played like two to three hours of all of them and have a little bit to say about all three games <laughs> Steven, I'm like 15 hours into Lost Sphere. I started with the one that people hated the most because I thought it would be the one I would be less inclined to play. I was yeah. like, okay, cool. I'll play this one. I'll probably bounce off it once I figure out why everybody hates it so much and then move on to I Am Setsuna, which seems like the more interesting uh, kind of like artistically sound and original version of Lost Sphere, even though they were released in reverse order. And then move on to Oninaki, which seems like a totally new thing that nobody even like really talked about at all. But like, I'm just fully fucking sold on Lost Sphere. I think it's a great like I'm putting my foot down. I think it's a great game. I actually think it's like an extremely good RPG just to take a step back for those of you who haven't listened to the show for that long when we started doing this podcast i had like nothing by way of any interest or expertise in the rpg genre like zero yeah. like the second year of us doing the show was my quest to try and find a jrpg i liked uh which you helped immensely with and now here <laughs> here i am telling you that lost fear is a good video game so i just wanted to make that very clear the thing <laughs> i'm too busy with my esports now to you know pay attention yeah do you want me to say the nickname again or do you want me to never say it again saying it once is all that needed to be said i think okay we can cool. move on yeah if you yeah. listen to go do you know what we're talking about anyway um <laughs> so i started playing lost sphere because i was like okay people don't really like this game very much uh i'm very interested to find out why a lot of the complaints stem from the price which i didn't have a deal with because i got it deeply 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 on sale but it did release right. for 50 dollars, which i think like may be a little bit shaky honestly that said a lot of the other complaints were like it's completely devoid of any originality the combat system is just copy pasted from chrono trigger there's really no heart, no charm, no soul to this game. The characters are uninteresting. You know, essentially like every bad thing you can say about a game just kind of like stacked on top of one another. I have a feeling, and this is kind of why I wanted to talk to you about it. I have a feeling that I like this game so much because I haven't played the games it's very clearly ripping off. It's mm. definitely pulling a lot from Chrono Trigger. Surprisingly, it's pulling a lot, a lot, a lot from Final Fantasy VI. Maybe not surprising. Yeah. But it, it seems to be pulling a lot from Final Fantasy VI. And having played neither of those games, only played a little bit of Chrono Trigger, having played neither of those games, a lot of this stuff like feels fresh to me. Like a lot of this stuff feels like cool, new, interesting ideas. And I love this because I, I made, I bought the game for you because I was like, I need, I need you to play this. And 
I think you've only played like 30 minutes to an hour of it so far. But even within yeah, very that little. very short period of time, you're like, why is this character named after one of the main characters of Final Fantasy VI? And I was like, oh yeah. my God, there's a whole world that I'm completely <laughs> detached from. I had no idea <laughs> that there was any kind of link that early on. Yeah, it's not it's not a bad thing. It, it just it's very present. You know, it's it's like if I name someone Cloud Strife in a video game. Yes. It's like, OK, exactly. Cool. So you like that game. That's sick. So that having been said, like uh, you and I talked a lot about Fantasian last year because Fantasian, I think, was one of the more interesting games that uh, was released. It was on Apple Arcade by Mistwalker yeah, totally. Studios, uh, which is headed up by Hironobu Sakaguchi, the creator of Final Fantasy. And he pretty much was like, if this is my last game ever, then it'll be a good last game because he just wanted to make like the most kind of cut and dry JRPG experience kind of all of his ideas all of his motifs from every game he's ever made just kind of like distilled down to their most basic and like eye-pleasing elements he wanted to go and take the like kind of 3d models that he had created as fake backgrounds for earlier games and actually like handcraft the models like he'd always wanted to do like he kind of just did everything he wanted to do with that game and what culminated at least in part one which you and i really 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 loved was like the easiest on-ramp to the genre, I think, ever. Like, you could hand Fantasian to anybody, regardless of whether they played a game like that or not, and they would probably start to have a fun time at some point, even if the characters are kind of messy, even if the writing isn't very good, even if the story is, like, nigh incomprehensible. Like, at least there's fun to be had in that game, and there's definitely... You can feel the passion that went into the creation of it, which I really appreciate. Especially in the soundtrack. It feels like people who have worked on these types of games for so long just, like, doing what they want to do. And that was infectious. That's what made that game so fun like part two isn't bad it just becomes like what i liked about part one is like you said how kind of easy it flowed like the touch yeah. screen controls you know with the battles like the the slow acquisition of more and more abilities and like you know it, it felt very well paced and then it was like you all of a sudden were playing on the highest difficulty right and i was like i don't want to i don't want to have to like think too much about this one yes. and i just wanted to like be here and enjoy the dioramas and the music yeah totally what i've found about lost fear is that it's hitting all the same notes for me that Fantasian did, but I think has more interesting things going on via its characters and its story. I think there are some elements that don't quite hit as hard as Fantasian, but I do think Fantasian is maybe the best contemporary game to compare it against, which is like kind of a shocking thing to say about this game that was definitely like critically destroyed. Um, But Lost Fear, I I think the first like hour or two kind of lulls you into this idea that it's not going to be that interesting. I think like the characters all seem kind of like like very tropey in a way like even for the genre very tropey the main character or at least the the character that you play as uh initially Kanata really just feels like Chrono like really is just the lead of Chrono Trigger he just has black hair instead of red hair and like that's kind of his whole like he even like he has the sword he has the scarf he's got the whole fucking deal he even learns Cyclone at one point but uh oh, I see but that having been said now where I'm at and and I, I hate to do this because it's like the classic folly of of long rpgs but like where i'm at in the game the story is actually going in places that i wasn't expecting for the first time because you can you know predict a lot of twists pretty early on but the story's going in some places that i i'm kind of surprised by i'm acquiring party members still which is kind of bizarre uh and the party members i'm acquiring are like completely baffling and the characters are like good now like they're like well-rounded interesting people that i'm excited to spend time with and that's very different than what the first two hours feel like and 
knowing how this game was released, there was a demo that was just the first two hours and then it was $50. And I have to imagine a lot of people played that opening that is very much like almost a like an exact copy of like every JRPG you've ever played. But that's kind of a ruse in a way, because the further in you get, the more interesting they become. Yeah. I have just found that this game is like charming and I can't put it down. And in almost every free moment since we recorded the last episode that we recorded, I've been playing Lost Sphere. The combat system, and, and this is another reason I wanted to compare it to Fantasian, is weirdly a blend of, of Chrono Trigger and Fantasian in a sense. So Chrono Trigger for those of you who haven't played it, uh, involved a system of battle where you would fill up an ATB meter, you'd fill up like a bar. um, And when that bar was filled, a character could then move and do an attack on the uh, on the battle arena. And certain attacks would have like an area of effect. So you wouldn't just be going and saying like, okay, I'm picking Chrono and Chrono is going to attack this enemy. You would say like Chrono is going to do the cyclone attack and that cyclone attack, depending on what enemy you pick, might end up hitting more enemies than just that one, which is nice. It's, It's a fun kind of twist on the classic like Final Fantasy-esque combat or Dragon Quest-esque combat that is just like pick attack, attack this enemy, keep doing that until all the enemies are dead. What Lost Sphere is doing is very similar to Chrono Trigger, but you can see the area of effect uh, that, that an attack will have, and you can position your characters on the battlefield in a way to kind of like optimize those attacks to hit certain ways or, or certain enemies in certain uh, places, which ends up creating this system where you have four party members you can have four party members active at any given time you have four party members kind of like constantly sprinting around the map trying to get the best angle you know some people are very good at like up close and personal melee attacks that maybe have splash damage some characters are like magic snipers in a sense who are better off hanging back but in such a way where you can line up multiple enemies and hit them all at once i have found that the combat is really interesting and for the first time ever in any rpg i've ever played that has a battle system i have not like run or or tried to escape from any battle the entire time I've played the game because I find wow. it so engaging and so interesting. That said, I would say the biggest folly of this game for me personally is one of my biggest gripes with any RPG, uh, thinking back to Lost Odyssey, is that the boss battles end up being really, really difficult sometimes. Like sometimes they are just like way beyond hard in, in a way that's like, I don't even really know if grinding is the thing that's going to help here. I just need to like be better at the game. But that said, I mean, I've, I've been banging my head against them for long enough now that I've made it through every single one that I thought was too hard to beat. So, I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that I I haven't gotten stuck yet. I am on a boss right now that starts the battle by poisoning all of my party members and also confusing them all so they're no longer in my control. And every time their ATB meter fills up, they attack a random person on the field. (laughs) And that that means not just the boss, but they'll also attack each other. And I just have to sit here and wait until one of them hopefully doesn't attack. So anyway, uh, outside of that, I have found this game to be uh, really, really, really good. And I haven't even started I Am Setsuna or Oninaki yet uh, because all I've been doing is playing Lost Sphere. It's like the game I've been playing. I'm so happy you're enjoying it. Like you said, I've only played the first like half hour, so I don't really feel like I have a take yet. I'm hopeful that I'll enjoy something about it. Um, I don't know if I'll have the same reaction because, again, I think I, I wonder how much of this is because of what you brought up, not having that experience with Chrono Trigger. To be honest, at least in the first half hour, I'm not really getting a lot of Chrono Trigger. I feel like Paul Hollywood, like I'm not getting the orange, but like I don't really get the I mean, Chrono Trigger is kind of an oxymoron because it's such an influential game. It is like, you know, any any best of list is going to have Chrono Trigger on it. Yeah, it, it's it's mythic in its reputation. Right. But it's also so specific to like like it's very much even though it does 
follow the beats of like a very classic adventure. It's much stranger than most like you wouldn't ex- like the story that's being told there and the setting and the vibe of it is is actually like fairly atypical of even that generation of RPGs. You're getting a very clear sense of like uh, what they called the dream team, where it was uh, what Sakaguchi, Yuji Ori and uh, Toriyama, like all kind of adding their vibe to this game that kind of just feels like a moment in time crystallized. Totally. You know, and, and I think it's hard to like, I think we, we, uh, we definitely will talk about Chrono Trigger at some point on this show more in depth. It's definitely one of my favorite games of all time. And I've played it recently enough to know that I think it's also not a bad RPG to like to be onboarded with. I think it has a little bit of the where do I go next factor sometimes, but yeah. like you'll find it. It's, 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 it's a small world, even though there's many different timelines. You'll eventually find <laughs> when to go. But uh I, I think it's it's like a little bit like when you said that the mission statement of Tokyo RPG Factory was that we want to make Chrono Trigger. It's like a little bit like a filmmaker being like, we're trying to make Jaws. It's like, OK, that's it. Like, that's your like it, it's such a specific thing. If, if you're inspired, not to say that their inspiration is only one game. I'm sure they were citing a lot of other ones. But to say such a specific example of what you want to emulate, I do think you're setting yourself up in some ways. Yeah, I think one of the things that that I wanted to talk to you about specifically when it comes to Tokyo RPG factory and definitely with lost sphere considering its its reputation is like it goes back to a thing that you and i used to say a lot in the first like season or two of this show which is like okay judge a game by what it is in a sense you know like judge a game by by its intention yeah its intention yeah and and i would say the developer's intention or at least the marketing team's intention was to reference chrono trigger and was to uh try and like almost play off the nostalgia that people had in the 90s for that game but this game is definitely doing something more interesting it it almost reminds me a little bit of tender uh creature comforts which is a game i brought up in the goatee episode and, and a couple episodes before that as well but tender is essentially just using tinder like an actual app that exists in real life as a platform for telling stories because somebody at some point uh one of the three people who worked on that game was probably using a dating app and was like having an interesting conversation with somebody and was like what if i just wrote these conversations and turned that into a video game like cool that's a cool idea there's a part of me that's like yeah so why shouldn't someone be able to just say like well chrono trigger is really good and people really like it what if i told different stories in that framework like that's a cool idea to me. That's the kind of shit that I would like to see Square Enix throw a shitload of money at. Unfortunately, what I've seen is uh, Square Enix posted a huge loss the year that Lost Fear came out and specifically cited Tokyo RPG Factory as the reason for that. Oh my god, that's a bit unfair. Which is upsetting. I feel. Yeah, uh, I mean, they still got to make a game. They made Oninaki after that, so, you know, it, it yeah. seems like they're not going anywhere, at least publicly. It seems like they haven't shut down or anything, but... That having been said, like kind of kind of removing myself from what Tokyo RPG Factory says they want Lost Sphere to be, the thing that they made I still find really engaging. And and I think that's kind of one of the things I, I wanted to highlight here is I, I've brought up on the show more than once how I, I think it's very interesting the way people just kind of like rally around an idea and that just becomes the truth online. Like Halo 5, for example, which I think had impeccable multiplayer, got like absolutely dunked on because people said it like wasn't Halo enough, et cetera, et cetera, because you could look down the sites and whatever. But if you actually played it, and if you actually like engaged with what 343 was trying to do with that multiplayer, it was really fun. And it was a fun evolution of Halo and Halo Infinite, strangely enough, is very similar to how Halo 5 played. But now people like it, I think, because of, you know, a different marketing cycle in this sense, because they were able to get in front of what they thought people might perceive to be the issues with Halo Infinite and have smoothed all that out and created a game that pretty much universally everybody likes. And I, I wonder how much of 
the Tokyo RPG Factory like meltdown, I would say, in the public consensus is really just like at one point somebody said it was unoriginal. At one point somebody said like, oh yeah, the, the demo isn't worth playing and this game isn't worth giving your money to. And from that point on, that was just like the truth. And that's kind of what I want to do with this show as much as possible is to like kind of reexamine that kind of stuff and say like, okay, is that the truth though? Because there's some really interesting shit going on here. Um, And I think for people like me who don't have a history playing a lot of those 90s RPGs that were so formative, a game like Lost Fear is actually almost an interesting way to engage with that history without actually needing to go and find those games or to, uh, you know, pay X amount of dollars to find an original copy of it and try and run it on modern hardware, et cetera, et cetera. Lost Sphere kind of encapsulates a lot of the things that people found so interesting at that time and are nostalgic about and packages them up in a way that feels modern and feels fresh. And that's valuable to me, at least. That's an experience yeah. that I think is worth having. I'm really glad you're you're having that with it. I, I really I'm I'm so sorry I didn't have more time to play it. I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm like, okay. I wish I wish I had something to say. Um, I definitely will play more of it. And I think like the thing, too, is like uh, it's really hard for any discussion about any piece of media to sort of like definitively state its worth, you know, just overall. Right. I think we, we talk about that a lot where it's like at a certain point, opinions and one's relationship with media is an ever changing thing, especially with film. You know, we see that all the time where like a movie will come out and be panned and then 10 years later it reaches a new audience because maybe it just speaks to that time differently. Totally. I'm watching that happen in real time with discussion about the new Matrix movie. Yeah. And the way people talk about the the sequels. And the sequels, exactly. Yeah, I mean, so I think that like with games, the same thing can happen too, you know, and I think like even just the idea of you got this <laughs> severely on sale on Switch on January 5th, there could not be a more neutral stage for this game. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're a kind, open-minded person on January 5th getting it on sale. Like, I think, you know, of <laughs> course, that's going to play favorably to it. Not to say that, not to discount all the things you brought up, because I think like if you're genuinely connected with this game that's amazing and i think that like even once you play fo6 and chrono trigger it's not going to take that away you know, you're just going to totally. see familiar elements i i think for me the only like like when i saw uh one of the characters is named Locke, who if you played fo6 you know who Locke is which is fine it's like it's a cool name i get it but i'm like i don't know i think sometimes uh and this is more this is not necessarily an issue or anything wrong it's just what i subjectively think about like inspiration is that like we unconsciously will be influenced by by everything, you know, and, and I think especially when you're when you're first creating, you're going to unconsciously mirror what you admire more one to one, you know, like unconsciously, you might even like copy something mm-hmm. early on. Y- you have this sort of like very concrete, objectively smaller view of what your inspiration is. And then as you do it more and as you also gain more inspiration, it just sort of blends in more. You know, I think the best work, you can tell what led to it, but it has it's in conversation with it. Um, even if there are sort of direct homages like and we'll probably get to this later, given our lineup for this episode. What I'm trying to say, and it's hard to put into words and it's hard to really have a definitive claim on this. But I think that like when you so concretely define what this game is inspired by, you can almost halt the creative process where it's like we're trying to do this thing. And it's like so in your face about it that it, it's distracting. Yeah, I think the creative process uh, on the side of the developers and also the creative process on the side of the players as well, because there's there's, oh, totally, there's yeah. input when it comes to games, right? Like there, there's a there's an imaginary uh, veil in a sense that that the player has to kind of push through to feel engaged 
with a world and a story and characters in a game, right? You and I talk a lot about the difference between Final Fantasy VII and Final Fantasy VII Remake in that the remake kind of makes real all the things that your brain filled the blanks in with the original. Totally, yeah. And by saying specifically, uh, you know, first of all, Final Fantasy VII and Remake are like, a magic act they're miracles but in this case (laughs) specifically saying like this game is inspired by chrono trigger is going to influence players in ways that maybe the actual like scenario writers and and uh developers like don't want you know like maybe they want to set their own stage and just let the game speak for itself and and not have outside influence kind of taint people's perceptions of it before they even download it oh yeah totally and that's a tricky thing i mean that, that comes down to marketing that's just like questionable marketing more than it is like a bad game you know oh yeah totally and, and to be clear i wasn't accusing like i i haven't played enough of lost sphere to really like have a take on it yet but like no but i think i think i think what you brought up makes a lot of sense i mean i think that i think that's a yeah. extremely valid take you know i I think a a person like you who does have a very strong affinity for Chrono Trigger is going to go into this game a different way than somebody like me who doesn't. Exactly right. And I think, too, it kind of circles back to what we talk about a lot with Souls likes and how a lot of games going back to marketing, a lot of games be like, this is a game that has Souls like combat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then it's just campfires and the blah sound. And it's like, is that the influence or is that, you know, a marketing beat or is it something that you feel pressure to force into existence because it's what's popular um, versus a game like Hollow Knight that is clearly inspired by it, but it's kind of it's going in a different direction. I don't think it's a coincidence that, in my opinion, the more successful works that wear their influence on their sleeves more are usually pulling from a lot of different things. It's usually not just one thing, yeah, right? Yeah. It's usually like, oh, this is, I can see this, this, and this, and then the alchemy of that becomes something new. Another good example, and again, these are all miracles, so it's <laughs> shitty to bring up, but Undertale is like, the minute you play Mother 3 or Earthbound and you play Undertale, you you might roll your eyes at how, how one-to-one it is, you know? I mean, right. when you finish Undertale, it will be a completely different thing, but like, the influence is extremely clear, you know, and Toby yeah. Fox has had a long history prior to Undertale of like modding Earthbound and like being involved in the Earthbound and Mother community. But I think that I mean, I Undertale is one of my favorite games of all time and, and was, a you know, talk about lightning striking like that. That stuff is is, again, <laughs> miracles. Uh, <laughs> ultimately, I think that there's no wrong way to be inspired by something. And it's unfortunate that the the marketing of these games led to such a poor reception because I, I I trust your read on it that there is something valuable here. And also both can be true. You could you could play Lost Sphere and be like, I find the forced retro part of it hackneyed, but I do like X, Y and Z. You know? Yeah, like that. That can also exist. I, I was just about to say, I, I think if you're a person who's listening to this and you like did check out Lost Sphere and you did feel that it you know was forced or was unoriginal or or et cetera, et cetera. A lot of the things I've seen online, like that doesn't, I'm not trying to say that your read on this game is invalid in any way, shape or form. But if you're a person who hasn't played Lost Sphere and has read that stuff and thought like, I'm not going to check this out. I'm just going to agree with the opinion that everybody has online. Then it's worth reexamining and checking the thing out for yourself and deciding if that's actually the truth for you subjectively. You know what, Brendan? Yeah. I had a Lost Sphere moment with Dragon Age 2, I think. Because Dragon Age 2, talk about a game that got a bad reception. It was just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, like, it's usually written off the same way Andromeda is in sort of like, you know, Bioware discussion of like, oh, that's mm-hmm. the bad one. Don't play it. And I, <laughs> I picked up. 
I think it's really one to one. I picked up Dragon Age two, kind of like half kidding, and then I played twenty hours of it. And I was like, I think I actually I like genuinely like this. Yeah, don't get me wrong. Like, there's plenty to critique about Dragon Age two. It's not on the same level as Origins or Inquisition, but it's a really good game. That game was made in I think eleven months, something like wild. Yeah. Like they had that that they had no time to make it. Like everything working against that game. The fact that they even made a game is a miracle. Never mind. Like I think a pretty good one, and I think also like there's a place to have a game that like going back to our conversations on Godi and examining one's relationship with media being like what ideas did this give me you know even if it didn't fully succeed like what am I leaving this work with not necessarily in terms of like what do I want to take with me to like make something but it's like mm-hmm. what did this kind of add to my quest of like identi- like trying to find what type of work I identify with or not yeah you know like it's all valuable experience I'm getting very broadly speaking here but that's just how I how I think. No, I, 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 I agree with you. And, and I have, I have a thought, which is that we should put a pin in this and take a break because I feel like this is a conversation that's just going to continue through the other games that we're talking about. Yeah. This <laughs> uh, we, we were talking about this before, but like, even when we, we were talking about what the lineup for this episode was, and we're like, this actually does connect. Like sometimes it happens unconsciously. Sometimes we force it where it's like, and that's how they're all like, we don't need a connection in a normal episode. We can just talk about whatever. Sometimes the best episodes are completely disjointed. Yeah. But I do think that there's actually a very common theme with all the games we brought here today. I would say this is maybe the first time ever that you and I have gone into an episode thinking <laughs> that there is a theme. Usually, yeah, usually it happens. Uh, usually it's, I don't know, Wadham, Cats 2019, and Star Wars Fallen Order. There was an episode. <laughs> Let's take a break. <laughs> all right, see you soon. Goodbye. And we're back in the podcast. Uh, Steven. Hi. You mentioned you mentioned a game uh, that you picked up on the 3DS eShop sale uh, that yeah. I want to talk to you about. And I also know that you got a related gift for the Nintendo Switch. And I would like to hear about both of them. I did. And I'm excited to share the news. I also got an amiibo of Link as he's depicted in Link's Awakening, which I got the Link's Awakening remake on Switch. And I got the Ocarina of Time remake on the 3DS. I'll start with, the, with Link's Awakening. I think it's a shorter thing, but I think they're they're both related. And I think in our topic of inspiration, homage and all that, I think talking about like concrete remakes is interesting, mm. especially Link's Awakening, because Link's Awakening on Switch is sort of almost like a Octopath style remake of the Game Boy original in that on the Game Boy version of Link's Awakening. You know, it's depicted in the classic top-down Zelda style. The characters are, like, more cartoonish for the limitations of the console and also stylistically. And that's also a very weird, kind of colorful and trippy Zelda game in general. Yeah. So I feel like the, the, the sort of almost toy box style of the remake in that it's 3D, but it's still top-down and everything kind of looks like a toy does actually really benefit the, the game's feeling, I think. Mm. I don't have a ton of experience with the original one i think i played it like in passing um i really like link's awakening but I, I i wasn't like one that i was like hoping would make it to switch necessarily yeah or i didn't like need it on switch the same way i need wind waker or other zelda <laughs> games um right i i've really i really wanted to because i remember you got this like shortly after it came out and you actually have a whole playthrough of it on youtube but yeah. it's just really wonderful especially like being back home you know like around the holidays like having that sort of like slower schedule being able to sort of just like sink into a zelda game that like is is new to me in some ways because i didn't like grow up playing it is like really nice i really like the link's awakening uh remake on switch it's, it's a fun time 
Yeah, I remember when it came out, there were a bunch of people that were like, oh, it doesn't run very well, which was kind of problematic and was like one of the reasons I was a little bit hesitant to pick it up originally. And then I think it was November of 2020 or somewhere around there that I was streaming every morning before work, um, just trying to get myself into the habit of like waking up early uh, in, in you know the depths of winter and uh, ended up picking up Link's Awakening um, as like the game I was going to play every morning because I was like, I'll just play this for like an hour and it'll be like a nice experience and you you know, it's not that long. So that was also nice. And eventually it'll be over. And uh, my thought was like, even if it doesn't run very well, like it'll still be motivating enough for me to get up and out of bed because I I hadn't played the Game Boy version at all. I didn't really even know that much about it outside of there was a chain chomp in it. That was like the most I really knew about Link's Awakening. Um, yeah. And I loved the remake on the Switch. I, I ended up playing the whole thing. As you mentioned, the whole thing's on our YouTube. So you can go check that out. And uh, I like really, really enjoyed it. I have I have some like pretty big gripes with the way progression works i I think just like in general it asks the player to do some things that they will literally never come up with it's it's feels akin to like a secret (laughs) of monkey island like what do you mean i was supposed to put the pulley in the chicken and then use a chicken pulley to get to the next area like that kind of obscure thought goes into some of the things that you have to do in Link's awakening and they didn't change most of that for the remake which is like a bizarre choice uh for a game that just seems ostensibly for children uh there are some solutions to puzzles that seem like they're not for children or maybe i'm very dumb but anyway uh <laughs> i still think it's an incredible game and if you haven't played it on the switch for whatever reason or if you heard that it didn't run very well or whatever whatever reason you heard to not pick it up uh i would say ignore that and check it out because it's like a must play i mean it's a zelda game on the switch like go get it yeah and, and i think that the sort of reason to remake it feels like um pretty authentic like obviously you know there's money to be made but i do think that like the vibe of link's awakening without spoiling is i i think i messaged you I'm like this is just happy majora's mask mm-hmm. like it actually mm-hmm. is also kind of like psychedelic in that way but whereas majora's mask is like almost kind of like this david lynch nightmare uh <laughs> link's awakening is is more of like a dream episode of doug or something like <laughs> some weird like childhood fantasy yeah um what I also really like, I love the opening cutscene, the the like anime style uh, opening. So where, you know, yeah, yeah. The plot is essentially Link like crashes. Uh, you know, he's he's like adrift at sea and then wakes up on this. Island. He crashes on a boat and he he uh, wakes up on the shore of this island that he doesn't know. And there's also like hints that something's up like everything is there's a lot of uses of the term dream and nightmare the title of the game is link's awakening yeah there are a lot of cryptic like hints given to the player and there's also like this like strange recurring uh use of other nintendo like images so there's like Mm -hmm. a character who looks very much like mario you take a chain chomp for a walk like you were saying i think kirby's in it somewhere it's it's also so interesting to think of link's awakening being the first game that followed a link to the past which is like the game that created zelda as we know it you know because it's the first zelda which in some ways is not as recognizable today when you hear the name zelda like you wouldn't necessarily immediately think of the first one Mm -hmm. um although the first one's had a profound influence on 
you know, every game. Two was the side scroller, and then three was Link to the Past, which is where they kind of figured out the formula that they largely still use up until maybe Breath of the Wild. So the fact that it was like, this is the next step. And it's so funny, too, because arguably the same thing happened with Ocarina, where Ocarina was like the foundation of 3D Zelda, and the immediate next step was a nightmare. <laughs> so it's like, why is, <laughs> why is the foundation always followed by a weird dream? Yeah, um, yeah. I guess it's the stress of success. But yeah, Link's Awakening, I would recommend. I mean, the performance issues, like, they're noticeable, but they don't really get in the way. It's really just like the, the frame rate will stutter when you go into a new area, but like it doesn't affect the experience. That's always my thing with frame stuttering is like if it doesn't affect my enjoyment of the game, I don't really care that much. You know, it's only a problem when it like hampers my ability to play the thing. Yeah, right. Usually like I would obviously always rather that frame stuttering didn't happen Yeah, when it happens. That sucks. But it's never going to be the thing that prevents me from playing the game unless it's like so bad that it actually does. Like literally. <laughs> yeah, I think like I mean, Zelda is the kind of series where I think almost all of them are, are must plays other than maybe like the first two and the CDI ones. But, you know, at a certain point when you're all in, you're all in. Like I will eventually play them. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I was thinking of maybe doing a CDI bonus for patrons one day or something. Maybe oh. AJ can cut that out. Oh, my God. Don't, don't cut that yeah. out. If you want that, oh, let okay. us know. <laughs> I don't even know how to play those games, but I would love to try. <laughs> it feels like it's perfect. Oh, my God. What a great idea. Thanks for making it seem like a sure thing. I got it as a gift, too. I got it as a gift alongside the uh, the Link Amiibo, which I really love. It's a really cute Amiibo. Yeah, it's really good. I also, two Zelda remakes in one episode. I also got the Ocarina of Time remake on the 3DS. I, I do not know why it's taken me... 10 years <laughs> to get this because one i had a 3ds yeah you know when this was out mm -hmm. um two i wrote for a video game website when around the time this game came out and i only had a 3ds i was the 3ds <laughs> guy and three ocarina of time is oh yeah alongside chrono trigger is this is this mythic game that i also had a very personal connection to so the fact that i was like now nah, i'm good it was is bizarre i do think the reason i probably didn't get it was because at that time i still had like more immediate access to a lot of my older systems the the idea of playing n64 for like a long time was not like a weird thing i mean it's still not a weird thing because i have a video game podcast but it's like still like a pain in the ass to set up the N64 to hope it's working to like, you know, do the whole thing with the wires. At that time, I had like a tiny TV and nothing to my name except for an N64. So I was like, I already have it. Why would I? Why do I need a remake? But I've been curious about it for a long time, especially curious about the Majora's Mask one, because I think that even at the time, Majora's Mask needed a strategy guide, which my mic is currently resting on full circle. Uh, <laughs> Majora's Mask, kind of like Link's Awakening, has a lot of that like uh, early point and click puzzle solving where it's like, I would never know this, you know, and that's like kind of the reason I don't really like Majora's Mask as much as I want to. because I love the atmosphere and I love everything about it, but like it's not as fun to play for me because of that. Again, I'm comparing it to other Zelda. It's still a masterpiece, but just like when I'm thinking about like. My, my preference of Zelda games and 3D Zelda games. Mm -hmm. So Ocarina was the one I got. It was on sale for $20. And um, I knew the 3DS remakes were good. I, I've like recommended them to people based on that assumption. But I didn't realize that it was going to be like my preferred way of playing Ocarina from now on. Because that's a game that I actually like playing once a year. Like just for myself. Mm. I revisit it. 
I haven't done it as much in recent years. And I've started to wonder, like, you know, Ocarina, I think, often gets into these or conversations about Ocarina usually go into the impact versus how well does it play now? Because, like, Mm. pretty much every game after Ocarina was like Ocarina, but a little bit better (laughs) Ocarina, (laughs) but a nightmare Ocarina on the water. You know, every I mean, all those (laughs) games are very unique, but like that formula was like taken and run with in many different directions. Yeah. So like unless you had that kind of early kind of monumental foundational experience with Ocarina when it came out, I always wondered how it would translate outside of that. But that's my experience with it. And I and I love revisiting it for that reason. But it's been long enough and we've been doing this show long enough that I'm like, I kind of want to go back. This might be a good way to go back to Ocarina. And I don't talk about Ocarina too much because I think like I actually do think we have like some plans for Zelda stuff at some point this year. So I don't want to like talk all about it right away. I've talked about Ocarina before. It's one of those games. It's like, how do I even how do I bring this up in 2021? Like, what what am I going to say about Ocarina of Time? But I I think that what sticks with me about that game is that it's so it has such like a classic fable delivery of the plot. Yeah, that like I still really love. I think I think what stands above the rest of it for me now is just how much I love the the plot and, and the delivery of the plot, you know, because it's like it kind of reminds me now of like old school Dragon Quest where um, there's that fairy tale aspect to it. There's that like bedtime story aspect to it that is so like hypnotically kind but also like very real and emotionally grounded it's very hard to put into words but you know what i'm saying i think totally quest 5 gets closest where it's like it is a story about how magical the world feels as a kid and how painful it is to have that taken away yeah you know it's really it's like a fable of growing up there are a few games that i played in my life that feel like they've actually been able to capture that feeling of like actual legendary fable feeling yeah and ocarina of time definitely although i haven't played all of it and I'd, I'd like to and as you're saying like maybe there's plans to do that at some point i i get that feeling from that i think the game that i've been thinking about a lot recently that like nails it nails it is is uh ico which like i mean oh that, yeah that game when you're playing it it's like i'm i'm literally experiencing a legend like there there's no i shouldn't be allowed to play this game is how i feel playing <laughs> Ico. Um it's a similar feeling. Yeah, I mean cuz cuz even even um that game like also has some annoying I got to look at game facts moments. And I didn't yeah. even bring them up when we talked about it cuz like it, it it's so they don't like matter. You said, it has that in like, the grand scheme of yeah, things. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Right. And that's kind of how I feel about Ocarina. Like I actually started laughing at like I know the game so well, but I was like recognizing like if I didn't know this, would I ever know? And honestly, one of the most esoteric things is the first thing you're tasked to do. I know a lot of people who were my age when that came out that came out when i was like eight got ocarina and just like dropped it because the first thing you have to do is buy a shield and find a sword and it's like one of the less clear objectives in the entire game yeah like that really is like one of the more bizarre moments in the game and that's what it leads with so there are plenty of moments where it's like you've actually got to roll to the lon lon ranch before sunsets to get a cuckoo that will wake up the guy who's sleeping in the way right yeah i that my first attempt at trying to play ocarina of time i stopped for that reason i had i had the uh (laughs) the version that came on gamecube if you pre-ordered wind waker somehow got very lucky and 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 found my my way towards one of those discs and and tried playing it for the first time because i'd heard so much about it and i was like oh man finally 
and uh, gave up like literally in that first bit. <laughs> I think you'll definitely appreciate it more, but it does have that. And and I think I, I've just, you know, even if I could recognize, like, OK, like maybe the other games have have sort of honed the formula better. It's still nice to relive that. And that actually ties into the, the 3DS remake. And it's really interesting to see the approaches of, of two Zelda remakes that have, have very clearly different missions or at least that i'm perceiving Mm -hmm. whereas like link's awakening remake is like let's actually take this in the direction like what was the world that was being imagined on the game boy and how can we like actually bring that to life in a way that still feels imaginary and with the 3ds ocarina of time remake it feels i I, i've compared it to the uh blue point remake of shadow of the colossus where it's like very interested in just preserving the original work like there's so little they've changed in a way that really works i mean there's some refinement some of the textures are a little better so the character models are probably the most immediately different thing but like all the sounds all the movements are like one to one i mean king zora moving out of the way going wheat wheat for five minutes (laughs) Yeah. It's there, man. I would tell you if it wasn't. I do think that like the dual screen setup of Ocarina actually does benefit the game in ways that I think if you have a 3DS, I think this is definitely the way to play it. Yeah. Because having the ability to like look at gear and items on the bottom screen and just change it on the fly as opposed to like starting cycling a screen that's around you <laughs> and choosing the thing. It's not like an issue in, in, in the N64 version, but it's something that like it actually does benefit to have it on this specific device. And also, I mean, I've I've played Breath of the Wild on handheld switch, but like having the experience of Ocarina, what is essentially like, you know, a bedtime story at this point handheld in, a, in an actually small handheld device that intimacy on the extra large 3ds is so lovely yeah i i'm really amazed by it. i just got to the first part of adulthood so not to spoil it but the game the way is structured there are three big dungeons as a kid and some stuff in between and then you grow up and and sort of the rest of the game takes place largely as adult link and uh i mentioned this on our bonus episode about breath of the wild with our friend sadie which was a great time that, that might have been one of our first bonuses. Yeah. Anyway, on that episode, I talked about how I first played Ocarina in my orthodontist waiting room. They just had like an N64 <laughs> out for kids. Uh-huh. And like it was like Twitch plays Pokemon, but like the orthodontist waiting room plays Ocarina. Because I was like, what is this game? Like I, I would play it. <laughs> I would be in this happy market and I would pull out the Master Sword. And then suddenly I was an adult. Like and it, I, there was no telling where in the game you were. Yeah. It was just this sort of like lived in space that like a few people in passing played. Steven, um, I wonder if we went to the same orthodontist. But I, but they did have an N64 in the lobby. And yeah, specifically, I always remember playing Mario Kart 64 there and, and not Zelda, Ooh. which makes me wonder yeah, that's, if we that's had the better game different, to have in but room. similar <laughs> N64 in an orthodontist office experiences. They know what they're doing. They're like, we're we're gearing up to video game podcast hosts. Here. We're just going to influence <laughs> their personalities a bit and give them headgear. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think. I think it's weird because I don't. I know a lot of people like the norm is not to have a 3DS. I think a lot of people got it for Smash and then sold it. Yeah. But like they're easy enough to find currently. I do think like while the eStore is there, there, there's so many old Nintendo games that are like for less than $10. And this remake of Ocarina, if you've never played Ocarina of Time, this is the one to play. And I think this will probably be the one that I play when I want to revisit as much as I'm happy that I have the original. And like even though it's not perfect, it is nice that it's on Switch in some capacity. Mm-hmm. Like if that's your only 
only way to play it. Like, I'm sure that's fine. But this 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 feels like they've preserved the work in a way that is like one to one. But they've they've sanded off the edges just enough to make it like a better experience. Yeah, I uh, I really, really liked this remake. I have it downloaded on my 3DS. Uh, now now yeah. you're making me think maybe I should send my time in France playing Ocarina of Time for the first time. That, that sounds, sounds lovely. Like an interesting thing. Yeah. Um, but that said, I, I'm glad that you're re-experiencing this. I'm wondering if you replay this game every year, does this count as your 2022 playthrough of Ocarina of Time? And if that's true, does that mean that I can make a request that next time you do it on the Switch Nintendo Online version? Because I'm really curious what you think about that. Because there's been so yeah. much shit swirling around about how upset people are at Nintendo for XYZ thing. It's not emulated perfectly, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I wonder, like, for somebody like you who's played through this game so many times, I'm really curious what your reaction would be to, like, different fog layers in a scene. <laughs> like, if that's really going to affect your enjoyment. Yeah, I, I started it just to see how it played. And I was saddened to see, like, um, the big thing is that the interior of like houses used kind of pre-rendered backgrounds not unlike ff7 where like they would have sort of like a set image as the interior of a house or whatever yeah and a lot of those are like weirdly compressed and like kind of distorted but the actual like once you're out and about and once you're like in dungeons and like playing the game that that seems in my very limited experience it seems to be the only thing that's been like majorly affected Mm -hmm. so like i'm sure it's more than playable it's just i think while it's definitely maybe an exaggeration to like write it off i do think that like the the uncertainty we talked about this a lot but the uncertainty of nintendo's plans with the subscription model yeah i think like (laughs) coupled with the disappointing quality of emulation like i get the critique but i also think that it's like you know in moderation obviously like it's not the end of the world yeah at the end of the day you can play ocarina on your switch so it's pretty cool but even better you can play ocarina on your 3ds and get upgraded textures optional 3d and an inventory menu screen on the lower screen what else do you want yeah you're probably right i think if i ever play it it's gotta be the 3ds version (laughs) yeah i think i think it's the one because again i I think it's just it's just so one-to-one like really the only thing that's very different is is the character models i feel like they tried to make them a little bit less polygonal Mm-hmm. Um, but they're still they still like look like they belong in an N64 game. It works. Yeah, I do like this juxtaposition of your of your two different Zeldas that you're bringing to the table, though. One is like a complete overhauling, but still very much like mechanically the same thing. And then the other one is like, let's try and make this as faithful as possible because we know we shouldn't touch this too much yeah yeah i mean i think there's a place for both i I think that when you remake something it kind of goes back to legendary edition with mass effect 2 where Mm -hmm. i think bioware was debating whether or not they wanted to remake that trilogy and it's like you should really just preserve the original trilogy and that's what they did yeah because you know in that case there was really no way to experience it all seamlessly unless you wanted to like make an xbox live account on your almost dead 360 to buy the dlc (laughs) So you can have Javik on your team. Yeah. You can just have it all in one place. So (laughs) what I would not want is like in the case of something like Eco, like I wouldn't really want a remake of that. I think that's like so precious. Like I just want people to be able to play that, you know? Mm Mm-hmm. Although, honestly, a blue point did, I'd probably get it. They did a good job with Shadow of the Colossus. <laughs> That's true. That's a good I point. It, I take it. I yeah. take it back. But I think, like, I don't want it just to be like, oh, this thing is old. You can't play it anymore. Remake it. I think there's a time and place for that. And I think that, like, in the case of Ocarina of Time, it's such a classic. Like, you don't really want to change that, you know? Mm-hmm. And that weirdly goes back to, I think, maybe the the vitriol that Lost Sphere got, where it's like, when you, when you name these names... 
Ocarina, Chrono Trigger. These are like, <laughs> you know, mythic. And it's people get so defensive about it because it means so much to them. Yeah. You know, the minute you touch that or the minute you like cite that, it's like you're you're unleashing the gates of hell. Yeah. Every once in a while, a large movie studio will say this is going to be our Star Wars. And immediately that thing tanks. <laughs> Right. Because I think it's also like you can't really call that, you know, the, the things that yeah. take off on that level are like stars being born, right. not even like celebrities, like actual galactic stars, like the, the chance <laughs> of that happening, you yeah. know, um, nobody knew the Matrix was going to be the Matrix until it came out, you know? Yeah, it goes I, uh, another Mass Effect thing. There was a all over the place, but it's January 5th. Live a little. Uh, the <laughs> the uh, one of the character designers who worked on Mass Effect had this blog post where they were sharing abandoned concept art for different Cerberus enemies. Mm-hmm. So one had this like big, like weird, almost big daddy-esque like dome body and there were other designs and, and they wrote like a lot of these outfits. You've got to think about like how they're designed by an engineer first. So it's like function before appearance. And also like they all kind of look a little goofy. But once you saw how they would perform in combat, you would learn to either fear them or or not worry. And, mm. they, and they said later on, the minute you want something to be cool, it will fail. Like the minute you like this is going to be a cool edgy character, it's not going to work because you force that. Yeah. You just got to design the character. And then whatever the player or viewers relationship with that character is will actually form the emotional connection this gets back to what i was talking about with my my fear for the next resident evil game is like the response to lady d was so overwhelmingly positive (laughs) right to go into the the pre-production of resident evil 9 saying we need another lady d is already failing to create the next lady d you know that's that's my that's my biggest concern with that game I really hope they prove me wrong. Yeah, I think that's a valid concern. I, you know, because I think, I mean, that could have even happened with the Baker family too, which I think they avoided. Yeah, I mean, you can definitely see like <laughs> the influence. Yeah, yeah, like there's there's the dinner scene, and then there's also like you wake up and the four lords are like kill the man. Yeah, or whatever. Uh, fun games. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> Ocarina of Time 3DS, real good. I'm sort of this like doomsday prophet of the 3DS. I feel because I know it's like eventually going to not be readily available, and the Easter is going to be taken down. And I think while it exist just get it because i think that it's like it's it's a it's got a great library the backwards compatibility with the ds which we'll get more on Mm -hmm. in six months it's a good system you should you should pick one up while they're cheap yeah cheaper cheaper uh yeah there's no we're in that wonderful zone with the 3ds and you could check out the like 2ds or the the 2ds xl etc etc there's a whole bunch of different versions of that thing that you can go pick up we're in this wonderful space where there's no nostalgia really attached to it yet, which means that like prices are reasonable, whereas the DS is starting to climb. And I know this because I've been trying to source a DS for you for the holidays for like months. Yes. Uh, and the specific model that I wanted to find for you was so difficult to find, but uh, made it happen. But but DSs are start are starting to creep up. I've noticed the reason yeah. we picked the system was because it was so readily available and it seemed like people hadn't latched onto it as a nostalgia vehicle yet. And I think that the tides are starting to turn, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, I think 3DS still has some time because the last game that came out, I don't know if it was like the last last, but the, the last one that I knew of that came out for the system was Persona Q2 New Cinema Labyrinth. Yeah. 
which I think was 2019. Yeah, it was late. It was late in the game. I mean, we talked about it on this podcast, which says how late in the game it was. Yeah, it's kind of like I remember when uh, like games still came out for PS2, like well into the the next generation. Similar to that. It's hanging on. Yeah. Hanging on just barely. You want to take one last break and come back and talk about another video game? I would love that. I would love that very much. All right. Well, then I'll talk to you soon, Stephen. Okay. bye. All right. Bye. Brendan, I have I have more to repent for. Uh, in in that year, I had a 3ds and I was a 3ds gun. I didn't play 3ds games. Can I cut you off real quick? Yeah, please. I think it's actually going to be impossible for us to play The Legend of Zelda and the Wand of Gamelon. I- <laughs> Why? I've been do- I've been doing a cursory search of like ways to emulate it, and I don't think it's possible. So we actually have to get a CDI. Unfortunately, are those are those hot and trendy now? <laughs> <laughs> there is no reality in which they're just adequately priced. It's either dirt cheap, like they pay you to take it, or tens of thousands of dollars. Excuse me, do you have the Philips CDI in stock? Get out of my fucking store, weirdo! Yeah, like, what do you <laughs> excuse me? <laughs> I'm looking it up. Let's do let's let's find out for once. <laughs> All right, let's see. Philip CDI shopping. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. I don't know if this is accurate, <laughs> but I googled some stuff. CDI I googled. Mm-hmm. And then it says people also ask, how much is a CDI? The average cost. Okay, this is case management, but it it shows forty two thousand dollars. But I don't think that's accurate. Forty two thousand dollars. Yes. Okay. I'm looking at an eBay listing. That's one hundred and seventy (laughs) five dollars. How did I find the forty? All I googled was CDI. Forty thousand. Wait, did I, is this like a stock acronym? It sounds like that person has a very high opinion of the Philips CDI, which I, I want to maybe, talk to them. Maybe I wonder if the, the like SEO for CDI is so low that they thought it was like a stock or something. It's not <laughs> even like the actual device. Whatever. Okay, so we can get it for $100. All right. So maybe, you've been playing Shovel day. Knight, which is interesting. <laughs> <laughs> I have more to repent for. Um, <laughs> Shovel Knight also came out. I, no, it was later. But it was around the same time that all I had was a 3DS. I didn't get my PS4 until 2016. Yeah. I think it came out originally on 3DS and Wii U, right? Was that the initial launch or was it PC first? Um, I, I think it was Steam and then 3DS and Wii U, I believe. I might be super wrong about that. I think I also played it on PS4. I played it on a lot of systems. I don't remember in what order it came out. Yeah, in the same sale that you got Lost Sphere, uh, I think Shovel Knight Treasure Trove was also on sale, which is a bundle of like every game. Uh, was it Yacht Club Games that made mm-hmm. um, Shovel Knight? Yeah. Every game they've made under the Shovel Knight name, which there are several, I didn't even realize, is a fighting game where you just like duke it out as yeah. different knights. They just released a new one last week, uh, which I. Oh, really? I start, or two weeks ago, which I started and haven't played enough to talk about on the show, but I am excited to talk about it. Yeah. So Shovel Knight was this like big deal in like 2014. I feel like it definitely reminded me of the splash that uh cave story made initially yeah where like obviously indie games existed prior but cave story felt like the first sort of mainstream like breakthrough indie hit i mean nintendo picked them up and there's actually cave story on 3ds and switch i the switch version the thing about cave story that's interesting is that like both cave story and shovel knight are indie games that are made clearly with this sort of love letter to classic nintendo mm-hmm. i love cave story i have a cave story keychain on my cork board it's a great game but i think I, I played it actually very very early on for our show in an episode that was lost 
to the Aether, which is very funny. <laughs> but uh, Cave Story still is a fun game to play, but the love letter to the retro genre is so strong that it has inherited all the sins of its influence. Yes. In that, like, you'll fight a really hard boss, and then immediately after that boss, there's a pitfall that you die in, and <laughs> it didn't save. Right. And I thought like there's stuff like that constantly. There's like, you know, and that's kind of, it's kind of the charm, but it's also like the, the vibe of the game of Cave Story is not going for like a massacre type experience. And the fact that it like gets close to that in action creates this kind of weird feeling. That being said, like yeah. the vibe of it and the music, the presentation, the story, all of that's still great. But the the sort of like, I want to make a retro game, this kind of goes back to the inspiration. It's like they didn't really think to modernize a lot of it. And again, that game is old enough that in some ways it itself is retro, which is kind of yeah. interesting. But Shovel Knight, by comparison, came out in 2013-2014. I think at the very beginning of that sort of like retro wave of indie games. And that's kind of why I haven't really played it I, I i didn't write it off necessarily but i just sort of missed it and i didn't really know like what it was or what it was offering i, I knew it was like an homage to like the nes era but like you know I, I didn't really have like a strong desire to play it but it was on sale and i was like oh why, why not it's a big game that i missed again aether catnip big game <laughs> that i missed sign me up yeah so i started it and just like immediately fell in love with shovel knight Shovel Knight is by all means a must play. If you like video games, I'll, I'll say that. I love it. Uh, this is almost just like the opposite of Lost Sphere, where it's like everyone loves Shovel Knight. <laughs> you know, just like, it was like, I'm, I'm like putting my foot down. Like, Shovel Knight is great. It's like, yeah, we knew this 10 years ago. Dude. Yeah, where have you yeah, been? Totally. But uh, it's just, I think it's it's interesting to play Shovel Knight now because we're now better part of a decade after this sort of wave of like nostalgia and purposely retro indie games. Like, even the, the idea of that kind of becoming oversaturated and, and arguably trite, you know, or not, not necessarily trite by default default of idea but it's the fact that there are so many and it's like oh my god another one of these you know mm. and then that shovel knight does so well is that like uh, and again this goes back to my point of like the influence being infinite is shovel knight is not just trying to be mario or castlevania or all these things that's clearly pulling from like the, the world map navigation of shovel knight is very much mario 3 you know there there are things that move around from square to square yeah uh there's a lot of castlevania too if it was good stuff going on with the <laughs> that's, towns that's like the biggest inspiration is like they yeah. clearly played castlevania 2 and we're like there's something here and that's, I think, the thing. I think that that's actually, whereas I think maybe Lost Sphere is like, Chrono Trigger did it, we're going to kind of do it our own way, which is a very valid mission statement. Shovel Knight's almost like, I love those games, but I recognize what could be done better. Yeah. Or maybe what they were trying to get at. And there's such a medley of influence that it really does feel so unique to itself. Mm -hmm. And it's so just fun. It's so like simple, well executed. I was worried it was going to be like bacon random when I heard the, the name of it. Like I thought it was going to, I think that's actually might be why I haven't played it. Cause I thought it was like tied to that era of the internet. Yeah. But really what it is, is just Don Quixote. Like it's just like this guy who fights with a shovel and believes in chivalry. And like, it's largely not like, it's a funny game by virtue of like how silly it is in theory, mm -hmm. but everything is played very like grand 
grounded. Like yeah. the the story is surprisingly heartfelt. You don't really get a lot of it, but the whole idea that Shovel Knight and his companion Shield Knight are separated, and he's like trying to save her as all the other knights have kind of sold out to this seemingly evil organization. Like that alone is a very cool idea. That's really aided emotionally by whenever you beat going back to the influences, whenever you become the Mega Man boss of a level, it's a there's a scene by a campfire kind of like golden X uh, where you're like drifting off to sleep and you every now and then will dream of saving shield Knight, And those moments are like really intimate and, and sad yeah. in a way that like, I think that's like the secret ingredient of the game is like those little downbeats between missions of like just reinforcing the fact that shovel Knight is on this quest because he's alone in like every way is, is very powerful. That, that, that was what sealed the deal for me. I think going back to the sort of refinement of the era in some ways or the genre, if you want to call it that, the difficulty definitely has a retro feel it has that <laughs> it does this thing that a lot of older games do that i think is so funny where there's this like bombastic music and then many you lose it's like, and you just, like, lose everything. <laughs> like it's just death is so abrupt yeah it's the same thing in spelunky where it's like you're grooving <laughs> to this like genesis soundtrack and it's like you just fall whoopsie um, yeah <laughs> yeah but they they t- <laughs> wow yeah but they telegraph your failure and they show you how far you were in the level and there are so many checkpoints and there's this sort of risk reward system where you can destroy a checkpoint for more gold if you're like confident enough to do that it's really well done and i find that whenever i feel like i've hit a wall like i eventually get over it and it's always like a little bit more attainable than it feels and it does the great mario thing where like every level is a knight's like domain a different knight so there's like you know, Plague Knight, who's all that poison, and the whole level is sort of designed around that. Yeah. Um, my favorite level so far is the Propeller Knight, which is just like all these sort of different platforming elements. So like they'll introduce this idea of like, okay, these platforms will fall after you've landed on them. And then this this area, like you're just going to be blown in different directions. This is a screen slowly moving left to right. It's like they've taken all these things that like older games tried and just perfecting them. Yeah. And it, it really still feels like when I told you I got it, you were excited, but you were like, I'm prepared for you to not click with it because it's like been long enough now that this game is like of, of a different decade. Like maybe like it doesn't have the same impact. But my, yeah, my concern specifically is I, I think at launch Shovel Knight was a little bit novel because of the inspiration it was pulling from. And because, yeah. you know, it was like we're making like what would have been the best Super Nintendo game of all time or I guess even NES game of all time. Um, yeah, it's a kind of a weird bridge between the two. It's like better than NES, but it's like stationed in that design. Yeah. yeah. And that at the time at launch was definitely kind of a novelty. And now <clears throat> we're I, I think we're so far past Shovel Knight as a novelty that like we've had this whole era of indie teams and even uh, larger publishers making games that are inspired by that era, uh, inspired by Shovel Knight even that that kind of like I would say uh, flooded the market with games like that to the point where it's no longer novel and we're now even past that era where like it's almost coming back around again and becoming novel again uh in certain instances i'm thinking of eastward for example as a game that like yeah is, is going after an art style like that and uh managing to still stand out from the crowd so my concern was that going back and playing shovel knight now having lived through all of that and seeing like all of these games with like i don't know like super nintendo era inspired pixel art might be like oh man one of these again where at the time it was like oh my god this is perfect this is a perfect encapsulation of that era yeah i think it also like it it, it almost serves to sort of like 
you said this before with Lost Fear that it sets your expectations and then kind of like subverts them. And I find that Shovel Knight does that too, where it's like you kind of like there's sort of a language to game history where it's like, okay, like this is the ice level, this is this level. I kind of know what to expect. But um it also kind of reminds me of Celeste in that like the the retro style is largely aesthetic, but also helps in the pacing of levels and in sort of the way they teach you how to play it. The idea that like every level is kind of cut into zones and each kind of zone has its own little challenge that like is fun to overcome and then there's the boss Mm -hmm. which you know the bosses are very fun i I just saw one that is the i think the tinker knight and he's this like inventor who's tiny and when you first fight him he's like nothing like he sucks you beat him instantly (laughs) but then as soon as you're celebrating you fall down and he falls into this giant mech and the real fight begins every every night you fight has that level of characterization uh evidenced by the fact that the other campaigns are all starring other characters that you battle against right so it's like even though you're not really getting a lot of direct story you get a very strong flavor of of this world and the characters that live there and like you know there's enough in the like every now and then like you know shovel knight is is sort of this character who believes in chivalry and sort of the knight's code and will always be hesitant to fight everyone or anyone they encounter you know a lot of the battles or the boss battles will begin with like what happened to the knight i used to know or like the one that stood for these things and like mm-hmm. why have you sold out this way you know it's very classic stuff but like it does carry meaning you know it's not a game that's like i find that that little sprinkling of of emotion actually does help distinguish this from like we just wanted to recreate x y and z yeah it's like they had they had a story they wanted to tell and this is just the most it is the setting that fit the most for that yeah and the mechanics they want to explore and as you've as you've mentioned more than once on this episode but pulling from so many disparate and related ideas and games and 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 thoughts simultaneously just means that it's like wholly new because because Shovel Knight although it's a throwback is like it's a love letter to like the DuckTales game and Mega Man and Mario and uh, well like multiple different Mario games and Castlevania and etc 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 like instead of just saying you know some games um let's say remnant from the ashes for example which is you know kind of like okay what if what if gears of war plus dark souls and like that's right that's kind of it which like to be clear i love that game but that's kind of it you know um <laughs> right shovel knight is just like a billion things smashed together and uh and and what comes out at the other end is something that feels very much like something with a strong artistic vision um and and a, yeah and a really solid brief the thing is you know i think the danger when you're trying to emulate these classics is like what is what is it about your game that would prevent me from thinking why am i not just playing this instead like yeah. if you're trying to make Chrono Trigger, why am I not just playing Chrono Trigger? Not that I'm not that I'm like, you know, <laughs> earn my affection. You know, like I'm not like <laughs> you know, hard to please. Yeah. But there is that question if you're emulating the thing and, and, and you know, that will pop up unconsciously. Whereas a Shovel Knight, I don't know what retro game would would fill the same place. Like as I'm playing this game a lot, almost near the end, mm. I, I, I don't know if there's like a, a one to one experience. Yeah. Not that there ever is a fully one to one thing, but like it is so unique in its execution with the many, many elements it's pulling from. Yeah, I'm excited for you to play the other campaigns and I'm also yeah. excited to play the other campaigns. I, I 
have mentioned this in previous episodes, but I haven't mentioned this yet on this one. But uh, Shovel Knight is the first game I ever tried speedrunning because I loved it so much. Um, and I got really good oh, at cool. speedrunning it on the 3DS, which is, of course, where nobody is speedrunning it. So I stopped. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> I I really, really, really love Shovel Knight. Um, and I have the treasure trove. It was like one of the first games I got on the Switch because it was like maybe not a launch title, but was definitely in like the launch window with the intention of playing the other campaigns and have just like literally never done it for reasons I can't really explain. Uh, another game I picked up that was uh, launched with the Switch was Cave Story, which you've already mentioned. Another game I have not played, but I feel like I probably should. It's a good one. I think you'd like it um, with, with the caveat that I mentioned. of yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't get too attached to whatever's currently happening. The caveat. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. There are um, way too many of that exact kind of joke in our Goatee episode. Maybe we should outlaw them entirely. There are so <laughs> many jokes exactly like that. They're like the lowest hanging fruit possible yeah i think i think it worked then but i think it's a new year it's a it's a fresh canvas yeah we can move on from from gotoyoi whatever it was <laughs> well no 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 gotoyoi is here to stay i'm sorry yeah yeah i do i do like <laughs> the the act of that but yeah the acronym's a little rough <laughs> um but yeah shovel knight's great a must on switch which you more likely have than a 3ds uh, and i'll report back on the other campaigns i definitely want to play I think I'll probably do the Plague Knight one next because I love that. Yeah. I love the Plague Masks. I think Plague Knight is the one where you just play through the Shovel Knight campaign again, but as Plague Knight instead of as Shovel Knight. And then some of the other ones are like fully new campaigns. The story changes, obviously, if you're playing as Plague Knight. But um, yeah, it is. It is the same levels uh, from what I understand. What I also know is that like there you'll go into like villages in the Shovel Knight campaign and there's so many just like random NPCs that are so interesting, but like don't like there's a goat who's debating if he should buy a meal ticket or upgrade his magic. I love that. And goat, like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, what's like it, it has that um a, a lot of a lot of games of that era, you know, in the same thing like the first Final Fantasy, where like all the townspeople are just like bizarre and intriguing. And they just really like knew that and went all out with it. Mm-hmm. But what that what that ends up leading to is like the other campaigns, those characters you meet might have more of a role in the other character's story. Like yeah. I know um there's like a I think she's like a witch or I don't know. She's up to something magical. Yeah. But in the basement of the village, there's a character who's like kind of bored and she'll challenge you to like these like mini games where she mm-hmm. makes things right. float and you have to destroy them. Apparently she has a much larger role in the Plague Knight story. Oh, cool. So there's just stuff like that that I'm looking forward to seeing there's the plague knight campaign there's the king knight campaign i feel like i I, some have a weird kinship with king knight i can't quite explain it yeah i could have seen that coming from a mile away (laughs) that's the least surprising revelation of this whole segment (laughs) anytime i've done theater i'm always cast as like a confused monarch like it's always a version of that Uh um and then there's the campaign with the uh I forgot their name, but they're like the Grim Reaper Knight, and it's a prequel, I think. Yeah. So a lot, a lot of Shovel Knight on the horizon for me. Yeah, very excited, very excited. To yeah, I'm, explore it more myself. It's also like the the original campaign. I've I think I have four hours logged on Switch, and I'm like right at the last level. So yeah. it's like a pretty. It's also one of those games where like you can kind of just go through it, but there's like a lot of branching paths and all the levels, a lot of secrets. There's a lot of things to like find if you want to go all out with there's it. There's a lot of stuff to find. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It is. Yeah. It really rewards exploration and inquisition. 
Man, I'm I'm in this space where I, I have just so many options for things to check out while I'm in France because I'm I'm there long enough that it's not like, oh, I'm on vacation and every minute must be spent looking at cool shit and like experiencing this, which means that like I'm going to have downtime and like what? What do I play while I'm in France? What, what? Because this is the kind of thing where, like, whatever I choose to start while I'm in Paris, France, will forever be linked to that city. You know, like, I, my Ooh, brain yeah. will make a mental link between the two, and they'll be connected forever. <laughs> and maybe it's the King Knight campaign. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Whenever I think of Paris, I think of King Knight. <laughs> yeah. Um, that's so funny. I do. I do love that idea of connecting. Like, I think when we did the Game Boy Advance episode, I remembered how many games I connected with, like summer camp, like so many of those mm, games yeah. from my childhood. I would bring my Game Boy Advance like to camp with me in like a cargo short pocket. Like I actually use those awful pockets. For, yeah for good uh and yeah it was just like connecting to a place in that way with the game is very interesting yeah i uh i for me now forever the couch in my living room in winter will always remind me of playing mother three every morning while waiting for coffee to brew <laughs> uh which is nice that's i love that i think there's something too like i i mentioned i i'm home right now and like in Jersey, I've been here for the last few weeks, but whenever I travel, whenever I'm like home, I gravitate towards the 3DS and I'm not sure why, but That's there's very something very like familiar about it. And I remember like, that was the thing you were playing when you left is, is my, uh, Brendan Bigley MD take. No, I think you're absolutely right. Cause I, I, I just had a flashback of, I moved to Chicago in 2014. I knew exactly one person. And I remember the night I flew there. Um, I got to the apartment that I was sharing with two other people before the two other people showed up. Mm. So it was just me in this new city where I knew no one in an empty apartment. And it hit me. Moving to Chicago was a great decision. I, I love living there, to be clear. But in that <laughs> in that night, I was like, oh, my God, what did I do? Like, I don't know anyone here. I just uh, left yeah. everyone I knew back in Jersey and New York. And there was exactly one seat, <laughs> like it was weird, one seat in an empty living room that I sat on and I played Fire Emblem Awakening until someone came home. Mm. So like that, that definitely, I definitely think you're right. I definitely think like this room and this, because this, this house wasn't even the house I grew up in. This is the house that my mom got after I graduated high school. So this is the house that I've often like come back to yeah. when I'm home from college and then, you know, when I'm home from Chicago now. Was the, is this so, the room that I, I'm sorry for the people listening to the podcast who can't see what I'm <laughs> visual. seeing, but is this the room that you used to stay in? Yeah. That has been redone. Cause I was going to say, it reminds me a lot of when you and I worked at that site and used to do live streams where we talk about video game news. Cause I, something specifically about the outline of this room, uh, immediately was like, Oh my God, is that the place where it all started? And it is. I mean, this is, it is, it's cosmic. This is the room. Wow. This is the room. I don't have it decorated the same way. I don't have the gorillas poster. I was going to say the, to the plastic beach poster. Yeah. Uh, but you it, know, I do have, I have a map of the province of Cyrodiil directly above you. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. And a shark jaw here. Ow. Here it is. Oh, hell yeah. Did you just cut yourself on the shark jaw? Yeah. Wow. What we do for our art, huh? <laughs> Hey, should we wrap Into the up? Aether is pushing new boundaries <laughs> in 2022. Stephen touched a shark tooth on air while looking at a province, a map of the province of Cyrodiil next to a Mars Volta. Why do I have a Mars? Uh, I like Mars Volta fine, but why are they next to Cyrodiil? Anyway, so we should wrap, wrap up. up is what you're saying. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
Hey, thank you so much for listening. Again, really want to make it clear the the reception to the game of the year episode in particular was so overwhelmingly kind we're constantly overwhelmed by the fact that we have such a great audience and that people have have found sort of a positive connection to the show in some way and the game of the year episode as we discussed i think on that episode is sort of like a culmination of the intent of the show of celebrating games we love and we get to do that once a year in kind of a big concentrated way and it feels like we also like see most visibly all of your relationship with the show. And it just means the world like truly, I mentioned this before, what usually when I get a compliment or I make something that someone likes, I just immediately shut off. Like I immediately disconnect. I scream. I run away. Truly. It's very strange. I'll work it out later in therapy. But <laughs> this is the first time where I really like let it hit me. I, I digested the positive feedback and I just want to thank you all. It, it really meant the world. It really is so nice to do this show, especially in the last couple of years with this never ending fucking pandemic that like takes so much out of all of us. It's really nice to have a routine when our routine is constantly changing. I, I love you, Brendan. I love doing the show with you and I'm really excited to do another year of it. Yeah, me too, man. I f- fuck. It's good. This, this goatee in particular, as I, as I mentioned, even like the act of creating the list felt like it, it was coming from a place of like pure emotional honesty. And I just want to carry that forward. You know, uh, yeah. we put so much fucking work into it this year, which is really fun. I mean, your art was really great. AJ's editing is like, thank you absolutely wild in this one yeah (laughs) there's music there's guests there's like angles angels it's great yeah i i mean for the written list that's the hardest i've ever worked on writing anything including everything i did throughout all of when i was in school so like uh i'm I'm immensely proud of that piece um and i'm glad that it's out there and like man what a what a fun what a fun thing it is to work hard on something and uh, be proud of it. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's cool. It's a good feeling. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to start our signature by mentioning that. Yeah, um, totally. Thank you so much. If you're new to the show, you like the show into the cast that online is the link. That's the hub for everything that has everywhere. You can listen to the show. It has our YouTube and Twitch. Once I'm back in Chicago, I, I should start streaming again. I'll probably continue the Nuzlocke run. I was doing of shining Pearl. Mm-hmm. Um, I was also thinking of just like, I'm in a very like cozy, familiar mood. I was thinking about streaming the original FF seven just for fun for a bit. Like, why not? You know, St- don't fucking tease me with that. The, the thing that I want more <laughs> in life than anything is for you to do a complete. And I mean this complete <laughs> let's play of Final Fantasy seven that we can that have on our YouTube forever. I want that so much. I would rather I would rather you play the whole game than me play it. I would rather watch you play it than me play it myself, because I think that watching you play it will be a more enjoyable experience than anything my boring imagination could come up with while playing. <laughs> I'm just going to warn you. And again, this is a very cyclical episode, but it's going to be full orange, Stephen. That whole playthrough, you're going to get the full, the full blunt impact of my early childhood. Oh man, I think that'd be really fun. Um, I mean, I, I'm glad you're you're enthusiastic. So now I want to do it. Honestly, I might even do that first. I love my Nuzlocke, but I think I might start that. You're you're really thinking about it. I'm thinking. You said full orange, Stephen, and I immediately heard it in the Full Metal Alchemist voice. <laughs> And now I'm thinking about what the episode art's going to look like. And you know, it's a whole thing. <laughs> Come on, Al. No one will laugh at you. Brother, I'm completely orange. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that's on the horizon. Into the cast that online. 
Um, as you mentioned, uh, there, there's a lot of stuff backed up on the YouTube. So if you miss the streams, I would say most of our YouTube is like there. There's some pre-recorded stuff that you've done, but a lot of it is like streams after the fact. So my original Nuzlocke of Emerald is there. That was a really fun playthrough. Um, the Shining Pearl one is there. There's some stuff that we've like started and, and stopped. Um, honestly, our remnant streams were like some of the most fun i've had on switch those we were should, really fun yeah. we should do more stuff together this year i think i agree but uh yeah that's all there uh, our link to our patreon is there as well uh thank you to everyone who has backed us on patreon i've seen some new ones recently there's like a recent wave of support thank you so much uh, by doing that you allow the show to grow we also are doing more patron exclusive content this year I already have some plans. Um, obviously, don't back the show if it impacts you negatively financially. But if you can't afford to, it really does help us grow. And we're just able to do more. And as we're able to do more, we can also do more for the patrons. So it's a, it, it, you know, it all works out, baby. Anyway, I think that's it. Uh, oh, Spotify, you can uh, review us there. Now, you can't write a review, but you can rate us out of five stars. So many people have done that. Yeah. Many of you have done that. Uh, thank you. Uh, wow. Um, and uh, <laughs> but don't forget your old friend, Apple Podcasts. You can also review there, too. Um, I think I think that's it. Oh. I'm so excited for my Final Fantasy VII playthrough now. I'm, like, totally invigorated. Yeah. I hope you stay invigorated throughout the entirety of that playthrough. I would love oh, I can nothing do more than... To, to see that i think i think my emerald nuzlocke that i failed was longer than ff7 in its entirety yeah i think that's right yeah oh i don't want to say failed it was still a good experience but i did not beat the whole thing yeah don't yeah d don't beat yourself up it, it was yeah thank you. you you succeeded in making good content online hey can i give you um <laughs> can i give you one piece of homework for the entirety of 2022 one game that i i i would like you to play yeah please the I think weirdly I don't know why this popped into my head but based on our discussions about Lost Sphere and remakes and uh, being homages and subversions and all these things I think the one game that I have put some time into that I now want to finish based on this conversation and I really want you to play is Moon Remix RPG Adventure yes that's been on my backlog for forever I'm I'm amazed I didn't pick it up when it came to Switch. That is that is talk about Undertale. That is, I think, one of the primary influences for that game. It is. Yeah. And uh, e even on its own merit, I I've been wanting to play it for a long time. Yeah. I was I was just thinking, like, I want the Stephen Hilger take on Moon uh, and I want <laughs> and I want to finish Moon because I I was having like an emotionally wrought experience playing it. And I, I'm wondering how you would feel about it. Uh, it seems completely up my alley. Yeah, I think I think not to not to pressure ourselves, but I feel like a moon bonus could be a cool thing to oh aspire God. to as well. What, what I um, do for a moon bonus. I, uh, do fun. we want to say some of our ideas for bonuses this year? Or do we want to save them? So now we've been thinking about a couple. We could talk about this month's. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Why don't we do that? I mean, actually, that makes perfect sense. Given what uh, we're talking about. Speaking of the game, I'm going to associate with France for some reason. Uh, <laughs> our bonus. For this month, finally, after a lot of waffling about it for months and months, is going to be Chrono Trigger, mainly based on the discussion I knew we were going to have today, but also the fact that I'm playing all these games that are sensibly inspired by Chrono Trigger, and I, I want to just like do it. I want to do the dang thing. I've played like five hours of it more than once at this point, and it's time to just fucking finish the fight, you know? <laughs> 
I'm so excited. I mean, I've, I've, that's another game that I revisit pretty regularly, and I can't wait to talk about it with you. I'm really, I'm really curious where you'll net out. I don't want to pressure you too much into like loving it on the same level. What's weird is that I actually played Cross first. I don't know if I've ever talked about that. No, but um, Chrono Cross is is actually kind of a initially maligned sequel, going back to like Chrono Trigger dooming games that are connected to it in some way. <laughs> um, but Chrono Cross was the 1999, I think, sequel on PlayStation One. It looks like a PS2 game. It's like wild that it ran on PS1. Yeah, but Chrono Cross is like wildly different. Is very loosely connected. And people didn't like it for that reason because it was just so different. I think at this point, there's definitely like people have, have warmed up to Chrono Cross because it was my like I played Cross as a kid. And then like as a teenager, I found Chrono Trigger and I and I loved it. And mm-hmm. I like Chrono Trigger more, but Cross is also great. I, I can definitely envision a reality where you play Cross and you love it like to the level that I love Chrono Trigger. And that could be very fun. But that, that either way, feels like it's in the cards. Absolutely. I think it's a safe bet because you've become such a big Dragon Quest fan. Chrono Trigger is inherently connected to Dragon Quest. It, mm-hmm. As you get more into the RPG genre, I think Chrono Trigger is a must in ways that are really hard to define, which I think is going to be an interesting conversation on that episode. Because I don't think it's like going back to like homage and making a game based on another one. Like there are retro games that do a certain thing very well or evoke a certain mood or like have a certain appearance and Chrono Trigger is like it's hard to pinpoint what it is about that game that like puts it on the pedestal it's on other than like just the overall charm of it and Mm. the overall like atmosphere and Toriyama's art and all of that but anyway I'll save that for the bonus yeah that'll be the bonus for this month and we have some ideas for future ones but uh I want to I want to keep those close to the vest for now because it's always worth mentioning that going into the year, we have our thoughts about games that we think are interesting and cool and good that we want to check out as they start to come out. But every once in a while, there's a game that drops that immediately demands a bonus. Uh, and and it's hard to tell what those are going to be until we get our hands on them. So Yeah, we could have never predicted 13 Sentinels was going to get a bonus. <laughs> yeah. Or that it would even exist. Uh, honestly, the idea of doing like a Forgotten City bonus even was like, I, I had no... Yeah. To say that a remake of a mod for skyrim (laughs) was gonna be not only like a game that we would want to talk about but also like love enough to do a bonus and then eventually make it our game of the year for the year is like shocking uh so i do think we've played around with the idea because one of our bonuses from last year that i really loved doing was our favorite game soundtracks and we just talked about like music yeah and like I think that we're also open to like experimenting with like maybe a bonus isn't necessarily always like I think for the most part, it will usually be about a game or a series, Mm -hmm. but there might be some that are like about sort of like maybe a specific group of games or like an idea. So, you know, I think we always have ideas floating around Then we just sort of wait for the right time. Like I think Mass Effect is a good example where we wanted to do or I've wanted to do a Mass Effect bonus (laughs) since we started the show. Yeah, but I'm so glad we waited until the legendary edition which is not something that like we knew about when we started doing this so yeah yeah that being flexible totally i think we should probably wrap up oh yeah i forgot we were recording yeah we've we've (laughs) done all the sign-off stuff i guess already so i guess all that's left to say is that uh my name is brendan bigley and you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley i'm stephen hilger you find me at stephen hilger thank you have a wonderful start to your new year have a wonderful week au revoir (laughs) oh yeah Paris, France.
PWG, the worst garbage, the online.